in your Bibles. Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. As we continue on in our study, I'm having some technical difficulties, but it'll be all right. Hebrews chapter 12. Last week we were in verses 12 to 17. And this week we will revisit those verses. We did not complete all that was in there. And so we will do that this week. We have been in this book now for several months, and hopefully the Lord has used it to grow you nearer to Him. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is left not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning asking you to speak your word Speak your truth to us. Lead us, God, to be a holy people here. We have a journey that is set before us. We want to walk on it faithfully. We want to take heed to the warnings that are here. That we would not simply see these as warnings for someone else. They were warnings to our brothers and sisters in Christ long before us. And these words stand before us today as those to be heeded by our hearts. So give us listening ears, hearts willing to trust in Jesus Christ, bodies that are willing to go forward on the journey in faith. Strengthen your people with your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great works of literature in the English language is the Lord of the Rings. I think many of you all will at least be familiar with that. And in that story, there is a group of nine individuals from various tribes of Middle Earth who set out on a journey together. There is a ring in possession of one, the ring that is there to rule all others. And if that ring falls into the hands of the wrong person, the wrong people, a great deal of destruction can come from it. And so these nine, they set out together to destroy that powerful ring in the fires of Mordor. And they are commissioned to go by the wise elf Elrond. And the only help that he can offer them as they set out on their journey is this. He says, I can foresee very little of your road. And how your task is to be achieved, I do not know. You will meet many foes, some open and some disguised. And you may find friends upon your way, 
when you least look for it. And so as wise as Elrond was, and he was wise, he could not foresee what was going to happen to this crew as they set out on their journey together. And he was not certain either how they were going to achieve their task. So what fear that those hobbits and elves and dwarves and men they must have had as they started to travel. Their outcome was cloudy and uncertain right there from the get-go. What about our journey? We have a journey that we're on together, do we not? We're walking together. Will it be dangerous along the way? Yes, it will. And will it be hard? Indeed, it will. But fortunately for us, the New Testament is a continual guide for this journey together. Our Lord has not told us that he cannot see much of our path ahead. We know that he does see it all. And he gives us all the instructions that we need in his word. He promises also to go with us. We are not alone as we travel. But we can join with that fellowship in the last phrase of Elrond when he said, you may find friends upon your way when you least look for it. In fact, in the church, we are told that we can count on it because those friends that we have are a must for the journey. So we started this passage last week understanding that we're being told that there is a kind of race that we are on there is a path that we are on together, but it is a race that is not a competition. You're not trying to get ahead of your neighbor as you go, are you? You're not trying to get there first. You're not trying to get the best seat. So you're not trying to get in front of anybody else. Our journey is one where we help one another get to our destination together. We're a body that's working in unison so everybody can arrive in the presence of God. We're also called a family, and this family right here is actually called to love one another, unlike so many other families, right? We're a family. We love each other. We look to the right. We look to the left. We see all of those that are with us, and we want them to get there with us, and we want to get there with them. We love these people. We want to arrive together. We're willing to sacrifice for the good of the whole to help your neighbor get where he or she needs to get to go. That's the setting that these words are placed in. As this writer here in Hebrews, he remembers what was written back in Isaiah 35. We read that together last week. That's our path. Isaiah wrote that no unclean thing shall pass on this road. No danger would be allowed on it to stay, that all of God's redeemed people, that they would arrive singing and rejoicing in Zion. That's us. That's our destination. But sure enough, there are going to be dangers along the way. You know that there are going to be distractions along the path, traps to trip you up. We also have hearts that will wander, do we not? Our hearts drift as we journey. The book of Hebrews knows this. And so there are instructions and thankfully companions as we travel together. 
We're given two positive commands that you see here. Strive for peace. Strive for holiness. We talked about those last week. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to last week's message online. We're also given three warnings, three things to watch out for. In verse 15, we're told, see to it. See to it. Make sure. Don't forget. Be on guard for three things. The first was, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So he's saying to make certain that there is nobody in your fellowship, nobody in your congregation who falls short of the grace that is available to him or her in Christ. It is there. It is available. It can be obtained. Make certain that everybody to your right or to your left, when they get weak on this travel, when they begin to trip and stumble along the way, ensure, see to it that they reach out and grab the grace that is available to them in Christ Jesus. But there are many who do fail to grab hold of it. That's why we're being warned here. Watch out. You need the grace that Christ has won for you, but we are tempted, are we not? to walk on this journey without looking to him. Paul mentioned that as we were preparing to sing Give Me Jesus, one of my favorite songs that we sing here. It's so simple. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. But so often in the morning, what do I do? I rise, I get to it, and I forget all about the grace that I need in Christ, and I start my day without him. What about you? that ever happened with you too? We get distracted. There are other things that vie for our time. They vie for our attention. And we go it alone. So we're told here, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. It is there. Christ has it for you. Look to him. He gladly provides. He delights to provide. And yet so often we forget. What makes us forget? Sometimes it is distraction. But sometimes it's fear. Sometimes out there on the journey we become afraid. How many of you all know the stories of Winnie the Pooh? And if not, at least you've seen the cartoons, but the stories are so much better. Piglet is one of my favorite characters. If you know Piglet, he's a little bit timid. He's a nervous little animal. And he needs other animals to come alongside of him and help him. And the one that helps him the most is his friend, Pooh. But when Piglet gets afraid, what does he do? He forgets things. He forgets, where, he forgets where he's at. He forgets what's true. And he needs somebody else to come alongside of him and settle him down so that he can think and see things more clearly. I don't think we're a whole lot different from little piglet. When we get scared, we don't think very straight either. We forget where our help comes from. Sometimes we overthink and then we think some more and we lay in bed and we think more about it. 
without ever turning to the Lord Jesus. We're going over in our minds how we're going to handle this problem and how that conversation is going to go and we replay it again and again and again. When the main thing that we should have done was go to Christ and ask him for the grace that we are told is available to his people. We get scared. And he knows it. But he delights to give more grace. We covered some of this territory last week as well. But we've got two final warnings given to us in this journey in verses 15 through 17. Look with me in the second half of verse 15. And just like he said, see to it before that first warning, we can use those same words with this one. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So we're being told that as we are journeying together on the path, on the highway of holiness, all the way to Zion, to glory, this is something that we need to be watching out for, this root of bitterness. It's a root that might pop up, and not only does it pop up on its own, it might spread to other people. I was talking to Don and Betty. They were out working in their garden this weekend. I'm sure many of you all probably were in preparation for all the sunshine that's coming our way. Some of you all are gardeners. So think about weeds in your garden. Some weeds are worse than others, are they not? Some are solitary. They come up, you pluck them out, and that's all that you have to worry about. But some weeds spread, and they create a little trail underneath the surface, and they just pop up sporadically. So you might pull out one place, but if you don't get the whole thing, it's going to come back. So there are some weeds that will spread and try to take more ground. I think that's the kind of weed that we might relate to here in this passage this bitter root of poison that might spring up is liable to spread to other people. And just from the language that he uses here, we can tell he's talking about a plant or a kind of sin that will mature and bear bitter fruit on its little branches if you allow it to grow. But what specifically does he have in mind? I think we could say very generally that we could be talking about any kind of sin because no sin is satisfied to stay where it's at, but it wants to grow into a more mature sin. So jealousy, if that's what you're struggling with, it is not willing to just stay jealousy. It wants to progress. If allowed to stay in the garden of your heart and grow, it will mature into hate and vengefulness. And if hate and vengefulness are allowed to sit there and grow, they will mature into murder if it could have its way in you. That's the way that sin works. So if you think that you can just allow that sin to stay there in the garden of your heart and it's going to be okay, it will not. It will want to grow and mature and progress into something worse. All sin is like this. And so as a church, we need to be vigilant to never allow sin, to have a safe space in our congregation. We don't need to nurture it, care for it, harbor it, 
make excuses for it, explain why this sin is different from all the rest. This is my sin. My sin is well cared for. Don't you worry about me. We don't make excuses for sin. We kill it. And we confess it to Christ who promises to wash us with his blood. But what's interesting here is that the writer of Hebrews, he points us to more than just a generalized warning about sin. He points us to a particular sin that a different traveling community was warned about 1,500 years prior to his writing this. What he has in mind as he writes these words is Israel walking in the wilderness. That's what he has in mind. He remembers that Moses warned them as they were nearing the promised land that a root might spring up and bear bitter fruit that causes trouble and would spread in their congregation too. That's what he has in mind as he writes these words. And so the particular verse that he has in mind is Deuteronomy 29, 18. Deuteronomy 29, 18. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. Listen to what Israel was told back then. And then we'll talk a little bit about the application that this has in the life of the community of the church. Moses told these people, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve other gods of the nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. That's it. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will leading to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. And so there is a general danger that these people are being told that they need to be aware of. He's telling them, beware of having a heart that turns away from the Lord. Beware, pay attention to your heart. Your heart will deceive you. You think that you always have your heart under control, but it is not so. Your heart will wander. It wants to. It wants to drift towards sin. Beware, pay attention, guard your heart. But to drill down a bit deeper, what should they watch out for? What should they be guarding themselves against? What should we be guarding ourselves against as we pay attention to our hearts? So these words, when Moses first spoke them to this people, they were a broad warning against idolatry. Idolatry. And I know that that is a strange word to most of us. We don't often talk about worshiping idols. We think of that as something as long past, back in ancient times, but we need to hear it afresh today. So the first warning we need to understand this morning is that we need to be on guard against an idolatrous heart. Your heart will wander after false gods. False gods. Something that you go to for help, something that you'll go to for comfort, something that is not the Lord. As far as I know, there are no temples on Seneca Street that openly declare on their signs that they house foreign gods. Do you know of anything like that? So idolatry might look a little bit different to us in our day as it once did, but there are still temples 
And there are plenty of little gods out there. And the trouble is, is that we don't even need to step outside onto the street to find them. As John Calvin once said, he said that our hearts are idle factories. We'll produce them ourselves if we don't go out there and find them. But they certainly are out there. So do you think that your heart is prone to wander after idols? God certainly thinks so, and that's why we're warned about it here in his book. He knows our hearts better than we do. Tim Keller has written of idols and called them counterfeit gods. They make promises to us that they can give only what the Lord is meant to give to us. And listen to his description of what he says about a counterfeit God. And as I read this, I would ask that you think on your own life. He says a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a single thought or a second thought. So what is that thing in your life that you are, as soon as you know it has to be done, if it's in service to this particular thing or this particular passion, it's done. I don't have to think twice about it. I'm going to do it. He says it can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty and brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. So it certainly seems that a counterfeit God could be just about anything that begins to take up too much space inside of our hearts. It becomes the controlling passion in your life, the ruling it, whatever it is. It's that thing that if you could mine down all the way into the bedrock of your heart, if you can get down to the very bottom of everything, it's the thing that controls the decisions that you make. That thing that you're always going to say yes to, done, in service to that. It's the thing that rules all other things. And so the church is being told through a quotation from Deuteronomy 29 that our hearts are prone to turn away from the Lord to idolatry, and it is a cancer that will eat away first at you. And if it is not dealt with, it will spread to others. So I ask, how closely do you know your own heart? And do you ever challenge what it feels or what it wants? Do you ever wonder why it is you want the things that you want and you do the things that you do? If it's not the Lord leading you, what is? It very well could be an idol. But inside the broad category of idolatry, the author of Hebrews seems to be zeroing in on a particular poisonous and bitter root. Let me read it again. Because you heard there in that quotation, Deuteronomy 29, he mentions that 
bitter root, that poisonous root, did he not? So listen to what he says about it. He says, beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of our heart. Do you hear what kind of poisonous and bitter root that he has in his mind? He's saying that our hearts, they can be deceived and turned away from the Lord by idols, but we can also turn away from the Lord when we deceive ourselves. When we say inside of our hearts, nobody sees me, I'm going to do what I want to do. So the warning to the church is, is be on guard against a stubborn heart. How often was that wilderness generation told that they were stiff-necked? You are a stubborn people. God gives instruction. He gives instruction. He tells them how much he delights in them and loves them, shows them, and what then do they do? They turn away. They go the way that they want to because they say inside of their hearts, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so this is the root of bitterness that we have to watch out for. It's the one that says, I know what God says, but this is what I want. And this is what I'm going to choose to do. To have a stubborn heart that won't listen to the loving kindness of God. And he is seeking our best, is he not, through all that he says to us. He is a good father. It's easy to say that when we gather together in the congregation. We say that he is a good father, that we delight in him, but like rebellious children, and this is the way that it so often is, isn't it? Rebellious children just know better than their dad does. And when we act like rebellious children, we suffer for it. And left unchecked in the congregation, Stubbornness, refusal to obey what God clearly says is a cancer. It's one that won't just stay in your own body. Your stubbornness will spread and affect the others in the congregation as well. And so one man, he disobeys the word of the Lord, which then leads to another. Now clumps of people are making excuses and giving reasons why they don't have to obey this or that, telling you that this doesn't really apply to me. My situation's different. You ever heard that before? I have. You don't know what you're talking about. Then all of a sudden, there are whole denominations that have given away to the whims of the world and deny what is clearly taught in Scripture. And those whole denominations, those started with individuals who turned away from the Lord. And as Deuteronomy 29 says, that this will lead to the sweeping away of dry and moist alike. So the word of God this morning is asking you to check your hearts. Are you on guard against stubbornness? How are you obeying what the clear truths of God's word teach? Are there elements in your life that you refuse to change, even though God stands against you? And I'm going to assume with some of you, if this applies, if this shoe fits, that the stubbornness that you're dealing with might not seem too bad 
especially by the world's standards. You would probably find affirmation for it out there somewhere. Like, it's okay. Who are they to tell you? Or who is God to tell you? But you do know that God's word has something to say about it. About relationships that you shouldn't be in. Financial decisions that you should not be making. Poor management of your home. Disregard for authority. That's a key one in our, word, our world right now. Whether it's under the care of your parents, or maybe in your employment, or at your school. Maybe you've gotten accustomed to speaking with an evil tongue. Gossipy, slanderous, careless. Words just fall out. You don't pay attention to where they're landing. Everybody in this room has sinful patterns, do we not? What is yours that you're aware of, but you are prone to dismiss? And maybe every now and then somebody has come to you, brought it to your attention. Like, hey, whenever you do that, have you ever noticed, like, you hurt people? Like, oh, you're just being too sensitive. You shouldn't say those things. Look at your own life. Throw it back on you. Consider this this morning to be the loving discipline of the Lord so that you will not allow the poisonous root of bitterness to grow. Again, if you know anything about gardening, it's much easier to pluck a little weed up when it first sprouts, is it not? You let that thing grow for a while, though, and it sinks its roots down deep into the ground, and eventually you can't yank it up anymore. you got to break out the shovel. When you get the shovel out, all sorts of other things start popping out of the ground, too. You might damage what you planted. I think there's something like that going on here in this text. So is there stubbornness in our midst? We need to be a people who are willing to deal with these things. Do we have the stomach for it? Are we willing to check one another? So remember, again, this is being told in the context of journeying together. Are you willing to have hard conversations with somebody else? Are you willing to receive hard words from another that are spoken in love? for the good of your own heart and for the good of this church. Remember, we're called to strive for peace and strive for holiness. Those things will not happen if we've got bitter roots popping up everywhere inside of this garden. Eventually, we'll just be overrun with weeds and give up. But we're not that kind of people. Ministry together is hard work. And it's not to be done simply by a pastor or by elders or by ministry leaders. It's to be done by all. We all have a part to play in this. And it will require some uncomfortable moments, uncomfortable conversations, checking one another, guarding one another's backs along the way. 
And so if you're watching this take place in the life of somebody inside this church, I would hope that you would find the grace that we're told is available for conversations like this. There's one more warning here. Verse 16. So we've been told to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Specifically here, see to it. Beware, be on guard that nobody has a stubborn heart or an idolatrous heart. And a stubborn heart, really what it is, it is the worship of self, is it not? That's why that stubborn heart can fall inside the category of idolatry. I know better than God does. One last warning. Look with me there at verse 16. He says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. So specifically here, we're being told to watch out in our congregation, be on guard for sexual immorality. Now, if you go back and you read your Old Testament, you're not going to find anything there specific that Esau was sexually immoral. And that may very well have been the case. But it isn't explicitly said there. Though he is certainly unholy, profane, and godless, and that's what we're told here in Hebrews 12. So how do these two things go together? What it seems to me is what's happening here is that something is clearly instructive from Esau's experience that serves as a warning to us. Something that happened in his life took place with Esau that is to instruct us on how we are to live today and how we are to be on guard against what he was not on guard against. What did he do that we're being reminded of here? And maybe you remember the story of Esau, what took place. He was a man who was a hunter. His dad loved him because Esau brought home good food. So Isaac loved good food. And Esau was able to kind of get his way or have his dad delight in him because he could bring home game from the field. Jacob wasn't that man. He said Jacob was a man of the tents. Now he could cook. He could do things around the house. But he wasn't a big, strong hunter like Esau was. One day Esau was out hunting in the field and he came home famished, hungry, needs to eat. And maybe you've been in a situation like that before where you feel like you're about to pass out. I think that's probably where Esau was. Well, there's Jacob in the tent. He said, prepare for me a bowl of stew. Jacob says to him, you give me your birthright. And that's exactly what Esau did. In that moment, the blessing and the inheritance that would have belonged to Esau, they meant so little to him that he traded it for a bowl of soup. Well, how does that connect to us? Well, the warning here is, is that Esau was a man who was controlled by his appetite. And he lost his inheritance for it. Human beings have strong appetites. Appetite for power. Appetite for money. Appetites like Esau, led by our stomachs, 
food. But I don't know if there are any stronger appetites out there than the one for sex. And the application for the church of Jesus Christ is be careful that you do not sell your inheritance for a single bowl of stew. Do you get it? In that moment, that moment where the temptation comes, it might seem worth it. You're willing to trade anything for it in that moment. But this man named Esau stands against you. He lost it all because of his appetite. And we live in a world right now that is communicating to us that nothing is more important than your sexuality and your ability to express it and use it whenever you want. And how dare anybody tell you something different? Not to be able to do that is oppression. And the Bible does not shy away from the beauty of sex. After all, God made it. He made it for human enjoyment, and he made it to fill the earth with his image bearers. But he made it to be beautiful between a man and a woman who have joined themselves by covenant in marriage. That is the only time that sex is beautiful. All the rest are bowls of stew. And the potential is there to lose your inheritance. It is that dangerous. And so back then, the church was warned against this because it needed to be said. And I have to imagine that in a day like today, when there is so much sensuality everywhere, the church today needs to be warned of it as well. And maybe even to say how much more so. Paul gave a long list to the church in Corinth, a list of sins that would keep someone from the kingdom of heaven. And the first one he mentioned was sexual immorality. And so we have to ask the question, is the bowl of stew worth it? That's what you're playing with. We're told that there came a time with Esau when he went back to his father, he's desiring his blessing, that he was rejected. He couldn't change what had been done, though he sought the blessing with tears that day. These are scary words. And I think they're meant to be scary. Sometimes children need to be told that they're playing with fire. You're going to get burned. There are some warnings that just need to be said. And some of the people here this morning may need to hear these words. That there might be a time in the life of a man when he is so held by his appetites, so controlled by them that he no longer cares about holiness Holiness doesn't matter anymore. It's just what I want, my flesh wants. And so I'd be silly to imagine that within our church, this particular temptation in some form or another does not exist because everybody in this room, you just turn on the TV or you get on your phone or whatever it is, we are tempted on all sides to serve our flesh. And that temptation is heavy, but it will not be worth the cost. There is a price to pay.
Jesus has won an, an eternal inheritance for his people, whom he calls his bride, by the way, and he delights in a holy bride. That's why we're told here to strive for holiness. You got to strive for it. It is not going to come easy. Holiness does not land at your doorstep. It has to be worked for every day as you deny the flesh and you pursue Christ. And we're going to talk more about that inheritance next week, but let me leave you with an encouragement. We've talked today about falling short of the grace of God. We've talked about idolatry. We need to be on guard against stubborn hearts. We've got to be on guard against sexual immorality. All of these things are going to try to jump on that road with us and cause us to stumble and fall off the path. But the encouragement for us is that no matter where you are right now, if you will only look to Jesus, if you can look to him, in the midst of your temptation, in the midst of your struggles, we are told that his grace is there. It is there. He delights to help his people. He is a present help in every time of trouble if we will simply look to him. And so are you tempted? And have you given in to idolatry or a stubborn heart? or sexual temptation. These things you have to understand are a threat to you if you hold on to them. But Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be clean and keep walking with him to him all the way to glory. He has done everything necessary. And so will you cry out in your heart right now for the blood of Christ to cleanse you? It is there. For strength to repent of sin and for faith to keep you looking to Jesus for holiness. Will you do that? None of us is getting an inheritance based on what we have done. But all these things that we've talked about this morning, if they are unrepented of and allowed to grow in the garden of our hearts and control our hearts, these may prove that you love an inheritance offered in this world that you can see more than Christ and his kingdom that only faith can see. The proof in what you love the most is whether or not you will turn to Christ for healing. So will the church do that? And will we then come alongside one another just to remind you that you are not alone? I guarantee you, if you are struggling with one of these sins right here, you are not alone in this congregation. God has given you fellow travelers for a reason, to lift you up and hold you up when you need it. Will you ask? Will you come alongside somebody else when they're hurting? Maybe you got everything together right now. If I were to ask, if anybody want to raise their hands, you got everything together. You don't have any problems at all. You've got strength abounding in you, no struggles. If that's you, will you come alongside somebody else? We all need help on this journey. 
We are not alone because we have Christ with us, but we are not alone physically either. In this room, we have one another for a reason. And every now and then, somebody's got to pick my butt up and drag me. And sometimes that's what you need too. And sometimes we need a good whooping as well. We need some discipline. Gentle discipline, right? We're told in the book of Proverbs, a soft tongue breaks a bone. A gentle tongue moves kings. We need to have that word fitly spoken, but it's going to be a disciplinary tongue. That's the whooping that we need. Sometimes it's just with words. We need to be willing to confront one another in this church and not just think that everything is happy and merry all the way to heaven. It's hard. So as I mentioned last week, it is absolutely imperative that the people inside this congregation know one another. You're not going to know what somebody's struggling with unless you have gotten to know that person over time and they trust you. We've got to build trust here, which means spending time, going into one another's homes, praying with one another, teaching one another. That's what needs to happen here. So if you are not doing that, chances are you probably feel like you're going it alone, but you don't have to. After the service this morning, there's going to be a group of people in the room right next to the stairs that are going to be praying. And maybe for you, that's just a good place to start, a place for you just to become vulnerable with five, ten people. Just to walk in there and say, please, will you pray for me? I am struggling. Help me. I need the help of a church that loves me and is willing to hold me accountable. Would you be willing to walk down that hall, see Quentin? Quentin, if you've got your hand up, Quentin's up here in the front. Five minutes after the service, head over there and just pray with these people. It might just be a time you need to be lifted up and strengthened. And maybe you just want to go over there and pray with some people to help them. Point them back to Jesus who is strong. That's what the church needs. We need one another pointing each other to Christ. Think about those words of Elrond that I started with, that small fellowship of the ring. There was one thing for us that he got right. You may find friends upon the way when you least look for it. Hope you find some friends here today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can come into this place as fellow travelers, admitting together that the path is often difficult. There are holes in the road. Sometimes we fall off the side. We get distracted. We try to take shortcuts. We try to walk on our own, only to find that we are weak. We are a needy people. But you have provided grace for us. Lord Jesus, will you please give it to your people this morning? Show us our sin. Show us where we are unholy and where we are stubborn and where we are willing to walk and follow other gods in this world who promise us things. Promise us, us things that, that look attractive, delighting to the eyes and to the flesh and to the ears. There are so many voices out there in the world seeking to take us off of the path. But I pray, God, that this word from you will lead us to walk faithfully on it with our fellow travelers today. 
strengthen us for this journey. There is a beautiful Zion there for us. Our Savior Jesus is already there. He has already run his course as our great pioneer. He has gone forward, advanced party, promising to come back for his people. May he find us holy, walking faithfully behind him, always looking to the cross, always believing that our hope is in heaven, that we will not straggle, we will not drift, we will not give ourselves in to sexual immorality. All these things press in on all sides toward your people. Purify us and give us hearts, Lord, that delight in that more than all else because we delight in a holy and pure Christ. May that be our course this week. Distractions will come. You know that far better than we do. You see the path that is laid out in front of us. You see what every one of these people will struggle with this week. Lord, we know that if we look to you, we will find you faithful. In the morning when we rise, give us Jesus. All the way until when it's time to die, Lord, we know that we have Jesus. Make us a faithful people, Lord God. You have purchased us with your blood. It is a purifying blood. May we trust in it together today. We ask it all in the name of our strong, pure, holy, wonderful Savior Jesus. May we see you, Lord Jesus, as such. And not just say that while we are here, but as we leave here. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.